Swashby and the Sea. Captain Swashby loved the sea. The sea and he had been friends for a long, long time. She knew him in and out, up and down, and better than anyone. So when Swashby retired, it was to a small house on a small beach as close to the sea as he could be. Whenever he needed something, the sea provided exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. Life was just the way Swashby liked it, salty and sandy and serene, until squeaks and squeals sprang from the empty house next door, which was no longer empty. It had been commandeered by a girl and her granny who planted umbrellas and scattered beach chairs and boarded Swashby's deck without permission. Swashby batten down the hatches, hid when the doorbell rang, and fed their oatmeal cookies to the gulls. He didn't need neighbors. He didn't want neighbors. Neighbors were noisy, nosy, a nuisance, and annoying. So in return, he left a message written clearly in the sand. No trespassing, which the sea fiddled with just a little bit. Sing, the girl read, and it did just that. She sang every song she knew while dancing up and down Swashby's deck. What now, she asked. Now vanish, Swashby wrote later that evening, adding a starfish exclamation point. And the sea fiddled just a little. Wish, the girl read, picking up the starfish, and did just that. She closed her eyes and began, I wish. No, no, Swashby interrupted, stomping on the steps. If you mean to make a starfish wish, you must say this. Starfish back to waves so blue, the sea will see a wish come true. How lovely, Granny said. We wish you'd come by for a cup of tea, Mr. Swashby. But Swashby wished to be left alone, so he grumbled and mumbled and hurried inside. He didn't need tea. He didn't want tea. Tea was civilized, friendly, neighborly. What he needed was a new message. Please go away, he wrote firmly in the sand. And once again, the sea fiddled just a little. Play, the girl sounded out. And did just that with Swashby's shells and stones, with his buckets and shovels. But her towers kept falling. Barnacle bottom, Swashby muttered, marching out. You're doing it all wrong. You must not use the sunbaked sand. It's the sea sand does the trick. And he showed her how to dig for the wet sand below. Thank, but Swashby was gone. Before long, amazing sculptures decorated the beach. It's the clamshells you should be using, Swashby called from inside. Come play, Mr. Swashby, the girl called back. Swashbys don't play, he answered, banging the shutters. So the sea decided to meddle more than just a little. She inched her way up the sand and tickled the girl's toes. She nibbled on the sculptures and slurped away the bucket. The girl tried to grab it, but look at me, the girl called. Look at her, Granny gasped. Oh, dear, look at her. Granny hurried to the water's edge. But Swashby was already there. What you up to, you great salty imp, he asked, scooping up the girl in the bucket. With a great big wave, the sea delivered the pair back to the shore. And there was no stopping the laughing and thanking and hugging. That was Swashby's reward. I see what you did, he whispered to the sea as he was whisked away to celebrate. After that, it was easy for Swashby to have tea with the girl and her granny and ice cream and lobster, and s'mores on the beach. It was easy for him to share his special sea glass. It was easy, even easy for him to see that neighbors could be fun. 
and friends and family. And when he had a moment to himself, Swashby carved a heartfelt message for the sea. Thank ye, friends, which the sea fiddled with just a little bit. The uh, end. How to babysit a grandma. When you babysit a grandma, if you're lucky, it's a sleepover at her house. What should you do when you get to her door? Put on a disguise and say, guess who? Knock with a secret knock that only she knows. Tap, tap, tappity tap. If you like cats, meow. If you like dogs, bark. If you like goldfish, hmm. When she opens the door, shout, Grandma, your babysitter is here. Hug your mom and dad goodbye and say, don't be sad. I'll be home soon. Now tell your grandma all the fun things you have planned. How to keep a grandma busy. Go to the park. Bake snickerdoodles. Have a costume parade. Go to the park to feed the ducks. Do yoga. Look at family pictures. Go to the park to swing. Play hide and seek. Make goofy hats. Go to the park to slide. Have a dancing puppet show. Read stacks of books. Go to the park to take photos. Do puzzles. Play cards. As the babysitter, you need to let her choose. Of course, she'll want to go to the park. What to do at the park? Slide down the bumpy slide and the twirly slide. If she's feeling brave, try the tallest slide of all. Push your grandma on the swing, but not too high. Remind her to pump her legs. Feed the ducks. Show her how to help the shy ones get some food. Don't forget, good babysitters always say, five more minutes before it's time to go. Back at home, plan some more fun. How to play with a grandma. Grab two microphones and sing a duet. You might want to try You Are My Sunshine or Happy Birthday or make up a new song together. Line up all her shoes to play shoe shop. If your grandma likes fancy things, decorate her with ribbons, bows, and stickers. Shout, ta-da, when you hand her a mirror. Soon it's time for dinner. Your grandma may be a yummy cook, but share your tricks to make everything tasty and yummier. Add sprinkles to anything. Well, almost anything. Arrange the food to make silly fleeces. Shut your eyes as you take each bite and say, Mmm. When it starts to get dark, take your grandma outside to find the first star. Back inside, snuggle up and read some books. Turn the pages slowly so she can find everything in the pictures. Ask your grandma for stories about when your mom was little. What was mom's favorite thing to do at the park? Did she ever get in trouble? Was her grandma as fun as you? Teach her to say, I love you, without making a sound. Point to your eye, to your heart, and to her. Now let your grandma choose where she wants to sleep. Places to sleep. In a tent. On the floor. On the couch. In the little bed. In the big bed. If she asks, should we leave the night light on, the hall light on, the door open, answer, yep, yep, yep. Once you're both tucked in, make shadow puppets. Have your shadow foxes kiss goodnight. If she's missing your mom and dad, tell her, they'll be here tomorrow bright and early. In the morning, when you hear a knock, open the door, dressed up as twins. After you're all packed up comes the hardest part, goodbye time. How to say goodbye to a grandma. Let her burrow some sprinkles, some books, some stickers, some ribbons. Say I love you without making a sound. 
give her a big hug and ask, when can I babysit you again? Wilfred Gordon MacDonald Partridge. There was once a small boy called Wilfred Gordon MacDonald Partridge, and what's more, he wasn't very old either. His house was next door to an old people's home, and he knew all the people who lived there. He liked Mrs. Jordan, who played the organ. He listened to Mr. Hoskin, who told him scary stories. He played with Mr. Tippett, who was crazy about cricket. He ran errands for Miss Mitchell, who walked with a wooden stick. He admired Mr. Drysdale, who had a voice like a giant. But his favorite person of all was Miss Dance Nancy Allison Delacourt Cooper, because she had four names just like he did. He called her Miss Nancy and told her all his secrets. One day, Wilfred Gordon heard his mother and father talking about Miss Nancy. Poor old thing, said his mother. Why is she a poor old thing, asked Wilfred Gordon. Because she's lost her memory, said his father. It's not surprising, said his mother. After all, she is 96. What's a memory, asked Wilfred Gordon. He was always asking questions. It's something you remember, said his father. But Wilfred Gordon wanted to know more, so he called on Mrs. Jordan, who played the organ. What's a memory, he said. Something warm, my child, something warm. He called on Mr. Hoskin, who told him scary stories. What's a memory, he asked. Something from long ago, me lad, something from long ago. He called on Mr. Tippett, who was crazy about cricket. What's a memory, he asked. Something that makes you cry, my boy, something that makes you cry. He called on Miss Mitchell, who walked with a wooden stick. What's a memory, he asked. Something that makes you laugh, my darling, something that makes you laugh. He called on Mr. Drysdale, who had a voice like a giant. What's a memory, he asked. Something as precious as gold, young man. Something as precious as gold. So Wilfred Gordon went home again to look for memories for Miss Nancy, because she had lost her own. He looked for the shoebox of shells he had found long ago last summer and put them gently in a basket. He found the puppet on strings, which always made everyone laugh, and he put that in the basket too. He remembered with sadness the medal which his grandfather had given him, and he placed it gently next to the shells. Next, he found his football, which was as precious as gold. And last of all, on his way to Miss Nancy's, he went into the hen house and took a fresh warm egg from under a hen. Then Wilfred Gordon called on Miss Nancy and gave her each thing one by one. What a dear, strange child to bring me all these wonderful things, thought Miss Nancy. Then she started to remember. She held the warm egg and told Wilfred Gordon about the tiny speckled blue eggs she had once found in a bird's nest in her aunt's garden. She put a shell to her ear and remembered going to the beach by train long ago and how hot she had felt in her button-up boots. She touched the medal and talked sadly of the big brother she had loved who had gone off to the war and never returned. She smiled at the puppet on strings and remembered the one she had shown to her sister and how she had laughed with a mouthful of porridge. She bounced the football to Wilfred Gordon and remembered the day she had met him and all the secrets they had told. And the two of them smiled and smiled because Miss Nancy's memory had been found again by a small boy who wasn't very old either. Stand tall, Molly Lou Mellon. 
Molly Lou Mellon stood just taller than her dog and was the shortest girl in first grade. She didn't mind. Her grandma had told her, walk as proudly as you can and the world will look up to you. So she did. Molly Lou Mellon had buck teeth that stuck out so far she could stack pennies on them. She didn't mind. Her grandma had told her, smile big and the world will smile right alongside you. So she did. Molly Lou Mellon had a voice that sounded like a bullfrog being squeezed by a boa constrictor. She didn't mind. Her grandma had told her, sing out clear and strong, and the world would cry tears of joy. So she did. Molly Lou Mellon was often fumbled-fingered. She didn't mind. Her grandma had told her, believe in yourself, and the world will believe in you too. So she did. Then Molly Lou Mellon moved to a new town. She had to say goodbye to her grandma and all of her friends and start in a new school. On the first day of school, Ronald Durkin called her Shrimpo in gym class. When the game started, Molly Lou Mellon caught the football, ran under the legs of Ronald Durkin and scored a touchdown. All the children thought, wow, she's good. And Ronald Durkin felt very foolish. On the second day of school, Ronald Durkin called her Bucky Tooth Beaver. Molly Lou Mellon took out her pennies, stacked ten high on her teeth, and smiled as big as day. All the children smiled with glee, and Ronald Durkin felt very foolish. On the third day of school, Ronald Durkin said, You sound like a sick dog. Honk, honk. Molly Lou Mellon sang out a quack so clear and strong that it made Ronald Durkin somersault backwards, hit his head, and have to go to the nurse. All the children cried with joy to be free of Ronald Durkin for the rest of the afternoon, and Ronald Durkin felt very foolish. On the fourth day of school, Ronald Durkin said that she had made the snowflake all wrong, but Molly Lou Mellon opened up her paper and revealed the most beautiful snowflake of all. All the children oohed and awed, even Ronald. On the fifth day of school, Ronald Durkin brought Molly Lou Mellon a stacking penny for her tooth and smiled at her. That night, Molly Lou Mellon took out a pencil and paper and wrote a letter to her grandma. Dear Grandma, I wanted to tell you that everything you told me was exactly right. Love, Molly Lou Mellon. Maylene May. It all started when Mom and Pa promised I could stay a spell with Grandma Mary, who lived a million miles away through the rough old Idaho mountains. But when I asked Mom if it was time to go, she just shook her head and sighed real deep. So I tried asking Pa. No money, said Pa. Train tickets cost a dollar fifty-five. May I work all day to make that much? Maybe next year. But I couldn't just wait a whole year. So the next morning when Mom bundled me in my heavy winter coat and sent me outside to play in the snow, I made a beeline for Alexander's department store. Mr. Alexander called his hello from atop a ladder. I need a job, I said. I need money for the train. Mr. Alexander smiled as he stepped down to the floor. A job, is it? I wish I could hire your May, but all the jobs around here are for grown-ups, like counting money and lifting heavy cartons. I must have looked mighty sad because Mr. Alexander reached for a jar of peppermint sticks. The sweet, wintry taste didn't do much to cheer me as I slogged my way home. Things only got worse when Pa came back from work that night. He and Ma commenced to whispering and peeking at me off and on. Then they made me go to bed awful early, which I did not like at all. 
Next morning, Ma shook me awake while it was still real dark. I was puzzled to see Pa's little traveling bag packed and standing by the door. When I asked where he was going, Ma only smiled and said, eat your breakfast. Just then, someone knocked on our front door. Pa opened up to Ma's cousin, Leonard. Come along, May, Pa said, grabbing the suitcase as Ma helped me with my coat. We're going to the post office with Leonard. He held up his hand as I opened my mouth. No questions, Pa said with a wink. Ma hugged and kissed me before Pa took my hand and led me out into the dark winter air. Before long, I stood taking in the funny smells of the Grangeville post office, glue and canvas bags and oiled wooden floors. Meanwhile, Pa marched right up to Postmaster Perkins and said, Sam, you got some new rules for mailing packages. I know boxes can weigh up to 50 pounds nowadays, but what sorts of things can you send? Mr. Perkins looked at Pa real strange-like as he asked, What you got in mind, John? It's May, said Pa. We'd like her to mail her to Lewiston. Leonard here mans the mail car on the train, as you well know. He can take good care of our package. Sure thing, Sam, said Leonard. I was flat flabbergasted by Pa, and so was Mr. Perkins. Mailing May, he mumbled, shaking his head. Let's see, the postal code says not to mail lizards or insects or anything smelly. Mr. Perkins looked me over his glasses and then sniffed. Guess you passed the smell test. But what about girls, I asked. Can you mail me? Well, the rule book says nothing about children, but it is permissible to mail baby chicks, Mr. Perkins smiled. Let's find exactly how much you and your valise weigh. I scrambled up onto the big scale and Pa set his traveling bag right next to me. 48 pounds and 8 ounces, biggest baby chick on record. Mr. Perkins ran his finger down a chart hanging near the scale and turned to Pa. To mail May from Grangeville to Lewiston will call cost 53 cents. Well, Leonard, looks like you'll be in charge of some poultry on this mail run. Before I knew it, Mr. Perkins had glued 53 cents worth of stamps on the back of my coat, along with a label that read, Mrs. Venicold's 1156 12th Avenue, Lewiston, Idaho. Pa hugged me and told me to, good to be good to Grandma Mary. Then he was gone, and I was there, a package sitting in the post office. Before long, Leonard carted me and the rest of the mail to the train station. The big black steam engine was already waiting, hissing and snorting like a boar hog. The sight made me go all tingly, seeing as never even ridden on a train before. After Leonard loaded the mailbags and a few other packages, he called out, time to go, May. Then he helped me up the steel steps. At exactly seven o'clock, the train chugged away from my home and headed down the mountain. I felt as adventuresome as Daniel Boone. The inside of the mail car was like a little post office, and Leonard got busy right away sorting mail to be dropped off at towns along the way. I curled up near the stove to keep warm and watched. Whenever Leonard had a free minute, he'd take me to the door for a look. My, oh my, what sights there were to see. Why, we hung on the edge of mountainsides and crawled through tunnels. We crossed deep valleys on top of tall, spidery trestles that Leonard called steel on stilts. Then long about Lapway Canyon, where the train track twists back and forth down the mountain, I began to feel somewhat less adventuresome. Instead, I was feeling dizzy and weak in the stomach. I was about to run and get some fresh air when I heard an angry voice at the door. Leonard, yelled a man in a uniform, that girl better have a ticket or money to buy one. It was Mr. Harry Morris, the train's conductor. I hid behind Leonard as he explained that I was a package, not a passenger. Then he showed Mr. Morris the stamps on my coat. 
That cranky old conductor snapped his knee and laughed out loud. I've seen everything now, said Mr. Morris, wiping his eyes. Well, Mr. Morris plumb scared the dizziness right out of me. Even my stomach seemed better and I started to feel hungry. Leonard said lunch would be at Grandma Mary's. The train made a few more stops at towns like Sweetwater and Joseph before we pulled into the Lewiston Railroad Station. Since this was the end of the line, Leonard had time to be my mail carrier, and we headed for Grandma Mary's place. The second I laid eyes on Grandma Mary, I felt downright warm inside. Ma and Pa had kept their promise after all, with a little help from the U.S. Post Office. The author's note to this book says, This is a true story. On January 1st, 1913, the U.S. Post Office Department introduced domestic parcel post service. And on February 19th, 1914, five-year-old Charlotte May Pierce-Storff actually was mailed from Grangeville to Lewiston, Idaho. Indeed, May was classified as a baby chick, and the postage to send her was 53 cents. Her mother's cousin, Leonard Mocho, was the railway postal clerk who manned the mail car between Grangeville and Lewiston. Soon after the train arrived, he delivered May to her grandmother. In those days, there were no decent roads traversing the 75 miles of rugged mountain terrain between Grangeville and Lewiston. Traveling by train, either as a passenger or a package, was the only good way to make the trip. And it was difficult to send messages other than by mail or telegraph. Apparently, the decision to mail May came about so quickly that there was no time to notify her grandmother. Or perhaps May's parents wanted to avoid the additional expense of sending a telegram. In any case, Mary Venegar-Holtz had no idea that her granddaughter was coming, much less coming by partial post. Ten Thank You Letters by Daniel Kirk. Ring, ring. Hello, rabbit. Hello, pig. Want to play? Sure, but first I'm writing a thank you letter to my grandma. She got me this sweater for my birthday. Nice. Hey, I want to thank my grandma, too. Can I borrow a piece of paper, pig, and a pencil? Sure, rabbit. Dear Grandma, thank you for the marshmallow cake you always bake for my birthday. Love, rabbit. Okay, pig, I'm done with my letter. How about you? Not yet, Rabbit. I'm telling my grandma about the weather. But it's a thank you letter. Why tell her about the weather? I don't know, Rabbit. It's just the way I do it. Whoa, I thought, just thought of someone who deserves a big thank you. Can I borrow another piece of paper, pick? And an envelope and a stamp, too? Dear Madam President, thanks for doing a ducky job. Let me know if you need some help. Love, Rabbit. Done. You finished with your letter yet, pick? Well, no. I thought I'd tell Grandma about how I'm helping Mom with chores. Chores? Why are you telling her that? It's a thank you letter. Because Grandma likes it when I help my mom, and she might want to know how things are going around here. Hey, I just thought of another great person to thank. Can I borrow more paper? Dear Mr. Lappin, in case you were wondering how things are going around here, they are great. Your funny books make my whole class laugh. Love, Rabbit. Aren't you done with your letter yet, Pick? No, Rabbit, I just want to tell Grandma that I laughed so much yesterday, my loose tooth came out. Can I have another sheet of paper, Pig? Let me guess, you thought of someone else to thank? I sure did. Dear Ms. Pachyderm, thanks for teaching us about brushing our teeth. Now I have clean teeth and fresh breath. Love, Rabbit. This one's done, too. How's your letter going, Pig? Well, I haven't seen my Grandma in a while, so there's a lot to tell her. But you keep interrupting. 
Sorry, pig. Maybe if you just give me a stack of paper and envelopes and more stamps, I won't have to bother you. Dear Mr. Moose, you are the best librarian. Thanks for finding me so many sports books. Love, Rabbit. Dear Ms. Otter, thanks for being a great bus driver and never getting lost on the way to school. Love, Rabbit. Dear Mrs. Chicken, thanks for being a great crossing guard and making sure everyone gets to the other side. Love, Rabbit. Dear Mr. Hog, thanks for always giving me a carrot pop at your market. Love, Rabbit. Dear Mr. Kid, thanks for delivering all our mail. It's a lot to carry, isn't it? Love, Rabbit. There, I'm finished. See you later, pig. I'm off to the mailbox to send my letters. Finally, I can finish my letter. Yay, done. But Rabbit used all my envelopes and all of the stamps. Oh, no. How will I mail my letter to Grandma now? Ring, ring. Hello, pig. Guess what? I got more envelopes and stamps for you. And I wrote one, wrote one more thank you letter. I thought I'd deliver it myself. Here. Thanks, Rabbit. Nobody ever wrote me a thank you letter before. Dear pig... Thank you for inspiring me and for being generous and for being my friend. Love, Rabbit. P.S. Now, are you ready to play catch? Yay, game time. Yes, after a quick stop at the mailbox. 